Um, well, good morning, everyone. It's a joy and a privilege to be here. Uh, it's amazing that we get to see each other once or twice a week, the whole church. Um, if you can open to your Bibles in Mark 5, We'll read the, the account there and then pray. Mark 5, uh, ch chapter five, Mark 5, verse 1, from verse 1 to 20. Uh, it's, uh, the title in my Bible says, Jesus heals a man with a demon. I'm going to read. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day he, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your Son. What mercy, what love you've had on us. 
We thank you for your spirit, Lord. Lord, you did say you'd go to heaven, Lord, and you'd send the Holy Spirit to us, and you've done so. Lord, we pray, would you help us this morning? Would you help me, Father? Would you help, Lord? Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you feed us from your word? I pray in your name. Amen. Uh, so I've planned to speak about this uh, parable in uh, Mark 5, and uh, I'll give you the different sections of the sermon, God willing, that I hope to go through. Uh, we will not go verse by verse, it's 20 verses, so we wouldn't be able to finish it all, but I hope to look at the main takeaways that at least um, the Lord has given me. And, but I'll give you the main points from the beginning so that it's probably easier to follow as I go along. The things I hope to look at is the hopeless condition of man. Two, the power and mercy of the Lord to set him free. Three, the great privilege and responsibility of the church. So first, we're going to look at this man, but as you can imagine, um, we will take some general lesson from this man who was demon-possessed. And the same account is that, that's given in Mark. It's also given in Luke and Matthew, but we'll focus on uh, the account given in Mark, but borrow a little bit from uh, the, the other two accounts. Now, I know you feel like me. Um, you know, sometimes there is it's easy to feel like, even though we know this is a Bible, this is a word of God, but we are 2,000 years away, detached from these uh, real, these were real people. This Jesus that we believe in, he met people with names, like you and I, name who had, people who had a mother, a father, Siblings, people who ate, who had the same flesh and blood as you and I have. And I say that because I'm hoping that the Lord can help us just put ourselves in this story, in this parable. Imagine if you're one of the disciples with Jesus and witnessing everything that's about to happen. One the disciples did not know what was going to happen. You know, Jesus said, uh, if you just look in the previous chapter, uh, verse uh, 35, chapter 4, verse 35, he says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across the other side. I mean, having been with Jesus for a while, they knew his ministry. They knew that he came to save 
to seek and save that which was lost, but they didn't know exactly who, how, when. And Jesus tells them, let's just go. They go, and we start off in verse, uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there made him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now there are the disciples, and there is the man. And if we just read the description, I'm going to read for you. The description of the man is given in verse 3, 5, but I'll read a little bit from Luke and Matthew. How the Bible describes this man before Jesus met him. The Bible says he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. That's a mark. Luke says, for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. For many a time it had seized him, the demon. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bones and be driven by the demon into the desert. Coming out of the tombs, this is Matthew, so fierce that no one could pass that way. So here is a man... I mean, this is a man. Look at what kind of life he's living among the tombs. You know, people who could help him, they weren't really helping him. They were, in a sense, helping themselves. He was dangerous to everyone else, so they tried to you know, bind him with shackles and chains, he broke them. It says not only was he in the tombs, but the demons took him into the desert sometimes. What happened there? I don't know. You know, Matthew says he was so fierce that no one could pass that way. So just wanting us to spend some time thinking about the life this man lived before Jesus met him. In a sense, he was a dead man, but worse than dead, dead but alive. No one could bind him. And Luke says, in Luke's account, he says, for a long time, he had worn no clothes. I tried to think, how long do you think this man had been in this condition? The only clue we're given is here in Luke, for a long time. We don't know if it's a year, two, five, ten, I don't know. You know, I have a son, and I'm expecting, by the grace of God, another little one. And this is not to, to uh, make this emotional, 
I just try to think about reality. You know, sometimes we know we can feel the humanity, we feel the needs, the hurt of the people closest to us. But the more, you know, you go outside your own circle, you start become unfeeling. They almost don't seem like people. I mean, think of the word that's going on in Israel. That's reality, brethren. We don't feel it as much as if the war was happening in San Antonio. You know, we'll probably be having prayer meetings every night if thousands of people are being killed. Now, I am not trying to burden you in a way that you shouldn't, but I'm trying to say that even though we may not feel the needs, the hurt, the brokenness of people who live in other continents, nonetheless, they are real people like you and I. So this man, you know, once, that's why I said, my son, once he was born of a mother who nursed him, he had a father, he was a little boy, like other boys, he liked playing, maybe he had siblings, they played together, they had friends, but sometime, whether it was when he was 10 years old, 15 years old, 20, sometime, some demons entered the man. And it's interesting because the way the story puts it, it seems like at one, po at one point, they were able to put chains on him. But later on, no one dared get close. So maybe things increasingly got worse. So we don't know. I'm just trying to use my imagination. But yet, it became so bad. that he was pretty much not living with, within society, the society of the time. He was living in tombs. You know, whether people shunned him or whether they just, whether he ran away, they took, the demons took him away, we don't know. But this was his life for we don't know how long. Luke says for a long time. And here he is. Just another day with devils. It's just another day to him. He's bound by demons. He cries day and night. There is no hope for him. Who knows how long he was going to live? How, how long is a life like that sustainable? I don't know. Maybe the devil is just hoping... I have the man, if I can kill him in this condition, he's mine forever. But the devil is planning, God is planning. And thank God, Jesus tells his disciples, let's go, let's cross the sea. Let's go change that man's life. The disciples don't know it. And we pick up the account in verse 6. 
excuse me. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The Bible says when he saw Jesus from afar. As I said at the beginning, some of the things I hope to bring out of these verses are the hopelessness of man, the hopelessness of humanity, and the power of Jesus. Look, Jesus had only gotten out of the boat. The man runs to him. Did he run himself? Oh, was it the demons in him that run? We don't know. But the Bible says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out. Now, we know this, these are the demons saying this. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Brethren, as I was thinking about just even demon possession, yeah, maybe we don't see it much in our day, but you read the Bible, you see it. And then even in our day, we see it sometimes. Um, you know, but I was thinking it's a blessing, actually, when we get to see it. I think God, in a sense, removes a veil and shows us the true condition of man. It's so easy for a heart to get hardened and look at men, lost men, and think they are okay. We meet people who are so nice and yet so lost. And so it's a blessing when God shows us, no, they're dead inside. And Matthew, so I see the condition of man, but let's look at the power of Jesus Christ. Demons. I mean, in some sense, they had known Jesus before they became, they became demons. And they still knew him. If you read, we read this in multiple places. The, the devil... And his demons knew who Jesus was. They said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In another account, because Jesus did not want to be known, still in Mark, but we're not going to turn there. It's as if, I mean, it was some of the glory of the Lord had to be hidden from us in a sense. But the demons could still see some of it. You know, look and look at the contrast between the power of the Lord and man. In Matthew's account, we read that he was so fierce that no one could pass that way. 
But when Jesus came, they cried out. These are the demons crying out. What have you to do with that, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You know, this, this brought to mind the verse, you know, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Jesus was so pure, demons are so dark, that they know the only contact they have with Jesus is torment to them. They know their time is coming, but they say it's not time yet. Now you'll see later where I'm going with this, but brethren, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And look at how the powers of hell respond to the Lord. They don't want anything to do with him. But Jesus talks to them. He, he has a conversation with them. Jesus, he says, for he was saying to them, verse 8, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. You know, I looked up uh, Legion, how many, how, how many people are in a Legion, and Google told me there's about 3,000 to 6,000 men in a Legion. I think that's believable because if you look later, some of the pigs that go into the See, the Bible tells us that it's two thousands of them. But, yeah, can you believe that? Three thousand in a man and he's still alive? Uh, but, but look at Jesus. Brethren, look at Jesus. I, You know, I uh, perhaps had an encounter, a close encounter with what felt like demons. Brethren, I'm a Christian by the grace of God, but I felt such fear that I've never felt. But at the same time, I never believed in the power of Jesus as much as I did. With Jesus is talking calmly. They're begging him. They don't, they're going to be tormented by just the presence of Jesus. They want to run away. They're not afraid of man. They're afraid of Jesus. This is God, his presence. And then see what Jesus says. So we're looking at the second part here. We looked at the man, now we're looking at the encounter. When, when, when man, when Jesus, when Jesus was in the presence of this man, or this man was in the presence of Jesus. 
And I want to look closely at the words of verse 8. If you can look there in your Bible. The command that Jesus gives to the demons, he says, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. I mean, imagine if you had been there and you witnessed everything. Would you jump for joy? That's how I feel. I want to jump for joy. Thank you, Lord. Jesus says, come out of the man. This was a real man. It's as if Jesus had looked at a man. I'm going to use you, Chris. Show me with Chris. And Jesus looks at the man and says, come out of the man. Chris. Not just come out. Words that are maybe meaningless. And Brent, that's another thing I want to press upon you. We have a personal Savior. He knows each one of us by name. He came to me one day and said, Prince, you are free. You're a new man. He did that for all of us, brethren. If you know the Lord this morning, He didn't save you as a group. He didn't save you as a couple. Not as a family. He came one at a time and he said, come out of the man. And the demons came out of the man and he said, you unclean spirit. You, he was talking to specific unclean spirits. You come out of the man. Or in and his word came with power. We know how the story goes. Let's read it. Verse 11. Excuse me for a second, brethren. Excuse me. Verse 11. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us send to them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So the Lord says, come out. They come out. I want us to see the distinction. The man before Jesus, the man during the encounter, and the man after the encounter. And so here we're seeing what's happening during the encounter. Jesus says the words, the demons come out. They come out of a specific man.
and then see what happens after the encounter. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there in his right mind, and they were afraid. They came to Jesus and saw the demons-possessed man, the one who had had the legion. Look at the past tense used here. The one who had had. The legion of demons is not in the man any longer. Yes, praise the Lord. Sitting there, look, he's sitting there, clothed. In Luke's account, this man was naked for a long time. And in his right mind, he was not in his right mind before. In the previous verses, it says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So he's sitting there, his cloth, he's in his right mind. I mean... See the difference that Jesus makes. With Jesus, there is a past and there is a present. I want to say the future also. But the future, as you get to it, it becomes the present. But the two are different. And that's what I want to bring to you. We're going to look at some general lessons that we can take from this. But before that, I just want to look at this account itself. The man was not a man. Yes, he was a man, but he was not a man. He was full of demons, 3,000, 4,000 demons. Look at the life he lived, naked, crying out day and night. He lived in the tombs. Jesus meets him. How long do you think this took? I don't know. 15 minutes, an hour? Not very long. But, and, and not to prescribe a time that it has to take, but looking just at this time, however long it took, whether you think it was five minutes or an hour or longer, however long it took, before Jesus got there and after Jesus left, this was a different man. And the people noticed. At the end of the verse, verse 15, he says that they were afraid. You know, we, we can read the rest of the account. But brethren, as I uh, just read this, and as you read your Bible, uh, you know, I wondered, obviously there is a lot that we can learn from this verse, but in one sense also you can say, I don't know how much we can learn. Is it just knowledge that 
we store in our mind and praise God for what he's done for people who lived 2,000 years ago. Amen. We should praise God for that. But I want to look what are some of the applications for you and I here. I mean, I'm looking at the names. You are living in the 21st century. You have a Bible. I will give applications for Christians and for those who are not Christians. But let's start with you who believe in the Lord. What can we learn from this? Now, not just for Christians in general, what about us GCC in San Antonio, 311 Hedges? See, I think if the Bible never gets to us, then in a sense, it was all in vain. If, if I don't preach to myself, then, brethren, my lips are only talking about things I don't believe. And if I don't try, brethren, to think about what application do these verses have for you? Looking at the date, October 22nd, 2023. Will this make any difference? If it doesn't, then why do we meet? Obviously, I believe better things, brethren, but I want to stir you. I want to stir you. Brethren, when we, when we meet here every Sunday, every Wednesday, we're not just coming to talk to one another and ask one another, how was your week? Good, our work was like this and that, and that's all. Have we met with God? Are we feeding from the word? So, Lord helping me, I'd like to bring some applications. One, one way we can apply these uh, verses to us is maybe see how. I said it earlier. What, what is all of humanity outside of Jesus Christ like? And we believe that and we live in light of that. I'll just read some description of what the Bible gives of everyone who's outside of Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but I'm reading from Romans 3. This is what the Bible says about humanity outside of Jesus. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of apps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paws are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Can we in one sense say that everyone 
outside of Jesus, though they may not be as demon-possessed as these men, that everyone is living in tombs. They are dead. That's what the Bible says. Dead in their sins and trespasses. Now, you know how we get deceived. I try to think about this. As Christians, how, how we try not to live in the reality of this. I mean, our flesh is so weak. But, you know, you go past the tomb, a dead man, but outside they look good. Maybe, imagine, what would a difference make? I mean, we live near a cemetery, and I was trying to think, even as a child, I mean, we've all, we all see it. I remember when I was a child when people died, and we went to funerals, and, you know, people use different caskets, and they have different tombs. Some are very nice, well decorated, they're using expensive materials, others are very humble. But yet, it makes no difference. The man or woman inside the tomb is dead. It doesn't matter how beautiful the tomb might be, the casket might be, the person is dead. So brethren, even with humanity, outside of the Lord, they are all in tombs. They are all dead. They are all bound by the devil. And another application here. You know, the Bible tells us at the beginning some of the ways other men had tried to help this man. You know, maybe you can look there in verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength. No one had the strength to subdue him. Now, obviously, brethren, if you're saved this morning, only those who know the Lord have this knowledge. But a phrase that got a hold of me is, look at how they had tried to control this man with chains and shackles. He broke them. And it says no one had the strength to subdue him. Look at what humanity does to control sin. But you and I know that nothing has the strength to subdue sin. You know, I mean, you can think back. I was actually hoping to try to remind you before you were saved. Think back. Think about the things you tried. Think about the thing you tried to, to set yourself free from different sins. You know, and if you got rid of this sin, another one popped up here. 
No one had the strength to subdue him. And look at the methods they use, all external. But all external methods are useless. And no one can change the inside of a man but the Lord. Now, But brethren, you and I know this Lord. Brethren, I thought as I was preparing, what's my life like, love like for the lost? I tried to think of this man when he had been set free, was a free man, he loved the Lord, tried to think of him. The Lord told him to go back. Tried to think of him when he heard of other men who were demon-possessed. Tried to think of him. How did he respond? How did he react? Maybe he heard, hey, there's another demon-possessed man over there. You know, we've put chains on him, and, and he's away from society, so maybe he's okay. Can you, can you imagine this man thinking of other men who are like him? Can you see his spirit being provoked? Can you think, I know one who can set him free. He has set me free. Brethren, the Lord has done that for you and I, if you know the Lord this morning. What's our love like? I include myself. What's our love like for the lost? Think of this man praying to the Lord. Saying, Lord, you've done it for me. You can do it for him. I'll even go if you send me. If you come with me. I know with your word. Even if he has 4,000 demons, they all come out. He'll be a new man, a new woman. But brethren, there is no difference between demon-possessed man and a nice lost man. Brethren, we know Jesus. And I, uh, I was trying to think, excuse me once again. I tried to think, you know, that's why we're here. That's why we're meeting this morning to stir up one another that we may live in light of these realities. And I tried to think of all the ministries we have, brethren. I mean, I thought of Friday night evangelism. I thought of heaven for hope, campus evangelism, the different missions, you know, the church in Manchester, in Nepal. Think of our prayer meetings.
brethren, and I thought this. If men are not set free, then brethren, what can we say we've done? And try to think for yourself, how many men or women do you know have been set free from this this ministry, brethren, we're trying. I'm, I'm including myself here. Obviously, I'm part of this church, and I hope to stir you all up. How many men do you know have been set free? How many men and women, for however long you've been here, 10 years or one year, how many men, we're trying, we're meeting to pray that the Lord may set men free. We just sent missionaries to Nepal that the Lord may set men free. Friday night evangelism, that Lord may set men free. Heaven for hope. Here, preaching to the lost, that the Lord may set men free. How many men and women do you know have been set free? And I do not say that to create maybe a ungodly discontentment, but I say that to stir you to a godly desperation. Brethren, we know if we can take a sinner and bring him in the presence of the Lord, he'll be a different man. There is no way around it. You can't meet the Lord and stay the same. You know, I try to think of some of, I hope, I mean, I doubt there is any among us, but, you know, the Lord said things like, it is better than that. It is better that I go away, telling his disciples. The reason I think about that, maybe you could think, well, this, 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 this kind of Lord, this kind of Jesus is only the Jesus of a book. He's not a real Jesus. But obviously, I don't think any among us believes that. But, but the reason I'm saying this, brethren, sometimes we believe things in theory, but it takes a long time for them to become reality. We believe them in degrees. That's just the reality of the Christian walk. But the Lord said things. It is better that I go away. Why do I say that? He said, you will do greater works than these. Greater works than the Lord had done. You know, maybe you could say, you know, if Jesus was here in the flesh, we would see these kind of people getting selves. We'll see so many salvations than we see now. But Jesus himself, no, it's better. He said it was better than I go. And he said, you will do greater things, greater works than what I've done. And, uh, you know, after he had died and resurrected and met with his disciples, and those who were with him during that last day, these are some of the words he said to them. I'll just read from Acts. And uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All these, now, he said these words to those who were with him, and then they saw him going to heaven, and this is what they did. All these with one accord, this is on the day of Pentecost, what happens uh, right before. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now Jesus told them, wait for the promise. You'll receive power to be my witnesses. In other words, he's saying, wait, you'll receive power. You'll be able, through the Holy Spirit, to set men free. And they waited, and they prayed, and we know what happened. 3,000 men were saved in one day. And we read the book of Acts. We see what happens over and over. They get together again and they pray. I thought, brethren, if you're honest with yourself and read the book of Acts, do you see that we have as much of the presence of God as that first church did have? Will you just say that that was only for then and not for now? Look at the difference. I mean, what difference does it make? It ma it's, it's lost souls or saved souls. God is glorified or he's not glorified. And, you know, the verse 14 of chapter 1 caught my attention. And brethren, I want to urge you and plead with you, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They all went together, they went to pray. I think I'm going to take a minute and talk about the prayer meeting. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you part of GCC this morning? How seriously do you take the prayer meeting? I don't think, brethren, any of us, if you're a Christian, you should miss a prayer meeting. I want to, I want to plead with you. I mean, that's why I read this verse. It was men and women together. They wanted the Lord. They wanted the presence of God. Brethren, we want the presence of God. And nothing says, help us more than prayer. Please. I mean, what makes you miss a prayer meeting? If you're a Christian, I mean, brethren, I hope to be loving and as I speak. But I'll try to think. Some of the things that make it hard to come to a prayer meeting. You're a parent with little children. 
I just have one and it feels like I have 10. Now, it's, it's hard, you know, sometimes. And, and you come and, and, and maybe you're trying to pray, but you come sometimes, you see through all of it and, and you have not prayed and your mind has been going to the child and back. So children can maybe make it hard for you to come. But brethren, try your hardest. If you must ask around, I remember doing that when we first had Owen, going to one family and another, how do you do it? Yours seem to sit down. And I know kids are different, but I think you can, you can get them to be, to sit and wait, and, and maybe they're not gonna be as quiet as the quietest boy, but you can get them. Don't let, and think about what message you're giving to your children. Daddy and mommy are not so desperate for, for God. They would rather stay home. Brethren, and why do you do all of this? I think, again, if you go back to this story, think of this man who had been set free, and he heard that there is other men who are demon-possessed. We've sent men to go help, but they're helpless. The Lord hasn't set them free. Can you think of him in a prayer meeting? Lord, help them. I know you can. So we've sent missionaries. We go Friday night. We evangelize. We meet here. Has the Lord met with us? And will you not come, pray, ask the Lord to meet with us? Come. And, and I was thinking, I don't know if this is good logic, but if for any reason you're a couple, if for any reason you cannot come, send one of you, send a husband, send a wife. Say, go pray for us. Go pray for the presence of God. Brethren, I'm saying all of this because Unless the Lord helps us, the world is going to hell. And you and I, who have been set free, are going to sit around and care less and not pray for those who've gone, not seek God in our midst. Think of this church. Think of our many weaknesses. Should we at least not come and pray for one another? The flesh is weak, even for Christian. Ought we not to meet and stir up one another? I know I've gone past time, but just two minutes. And I thought, we desire the presence of God. We desire to see men set free. What is one thing or one that keeps the presence of God away, even among Christians? It's sin. Now, you know Christians can sin, don't you know? You know that. We all know that. Now, what's your attitude towards sin? Brethren, I thought, am I serious against fighting sin? 
Are you serious? Any sin in our lives, any known sin. But we've got to be serious. And I thought, if we're not serious, if we know, let's at least meet and pray for one another. That we may live holy lives. That's why I say the prayer meeting. Don't miss the prayer meeting. And, oh, brethren, I ran out of time. But, lastly, are you lost this morning? Do you not know the Lord? Are you bound by sin? I just read of the Lord who can set you free. If you're serious, if you mean business, no, many people just want to be saved that they may go to heaven, want to be saved that they may have a better marriage, want to be saved that the children they've lost may come back. Why do you want to be saved this morning? If you desire to have the Lord, He'll be yours. He will set you free from sin. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray for your presence, oh God. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. Help GCC, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our indifference towards dying souls, Lord. Forgive us for taking sin lightly, Lord. Help us to be serious, Lord. Forgive us for not loving one another as we should, Lord. Oh, Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, we know you make the difference. Lord, we know your presence and sin cannot coexist, Lord. Lord, we know. Lord, we want you. Father, help us. In your name I pray. Amen.